0: Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Monday, July 11th, 2022. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, the famous stock market player Bernard Baruch once said, paraphrasing, Whatever men attempt, they seem driven to overdo. When hopes are soaring, I always repeat to myself that two and two still makes four. The main purpose of the market is to make fools of as many people as possible. Today, stories of this lesson being learned by both major VC firms and Elon Musk. Oh, and how North Korean hackers infiltrate companies. Here's what you missed in the world of tech over the last few days. Hey, everybody. Back from vacation as planned, but still on day six of my COVID journey. So not exactly as planned, I guess. More on that at the end of the show. But hey, it's also a summer Monday, a mere week after the 4th of July, so there's not a lot of what you would call breaking news this morning. The top of tech meme right now is about a trove of more than 124,000 Uber documents that The Guardian uncovered from the Travis Kalanick days of roughly 2013 to 2017, revealing management discussions and lobbying efforts during the company's aggressive global expansion. But I kind of feel like that's old news. There's not really new stuff in there, even if some of the details are new. We get it. Uber was a messy, ugly, elbow-throwing company in those days. I've got a link to the Guardian piece in the show notes if you really want to read it for yourself. But since there's not a lot of meaningful, timely news this morning, and since I have to tend to my family in our COVID isolation still, I thought what I'd do this morning would be to give you a couple of interesting analyses pieces real quick, and then devote the second half of the show to a breakdown fully of the whole Elon Twitter situation, and then come back at you tomorrow at the usual time for usual news, newsy news. So, analysis item number one. Ever wonder how North Korean spies infiltrate U.S. firms in order to do those big hacks we've seen over the last few years? Well, it's sort of what you might expect. They do it by posing as remote workers, and they've turned their efforts to the crypto industry recently, as we've seen. The UN says that the country has stolen billions of dollars worth of crypto from exchanges using this simple bit of social engineering recently, quoting CNN. Devon, the founder of a cryptocurrency startup based in San Francisco, woke up one day in February to the most bizarre phone call of his life. The man on the other end, an FBI agent, told Devin that the seemingly legitimate software developer he'd hired the previous summer was a North Korean operative who'd sent tens of thousands of dollars of his salary to the country's authoritarian regime. Stunned, Devin hung up and immediately cut the employee off from company accounts, he said. He was a good contributor, Devin lamented, puzzled by the man who had claimed to be Chinese and passed multiple rounds of interviews to get hired. CNN is using a pseudonym for Devin to protect the identity of his company. It's an elaborate money-making scheme that relies on front companies, contractors, and deception to prey on a volatile industry that is always on the hunt for top talent. North Korean tech workers can earn more than $300,000 annually, Hundreds of times the average income of a North Korean citizen, and up to ninety percent of their wages go to the regime, according to the U.S. advisory. The North Koreans take this very seriously, said Sue Kim, a former North Korean analyst at the CIA. It's not just some rando in his basement trying to mine cryptocurrency, she added, referring to the process of generating digital money. It's a way of life. End quote. North Korea's hacking teams have in the years since trained their sights on the boom and bust cryptocurrency market. The returns have been astronomical at times. Pyongyang-linked hackers in March, stole what was then the equivalent of $600 million in cryptocurrency from a Vietnam-based video game company, according to the FBI, and North Korean hackers were likely behind a $100 million heist at a California-based cryptocurrency firm, according to blockchain analysis firm Elliptic." End quote. That Vietnam-based video game company was, of course, Sky Mavis, the company behind Axie Infinity. Analysis segment number two. Sky Mavis, of course, as recently as October, raised a $152 million round led by Andreessen Horowitz at a $3 billion valuation, which doesn't look like such a good bet right now, if we're being honest. A lot of recent venture bets don't look so good right now. See Klarna's extreme haircut from last week. But frankly, tons of investments, especially in the broader markets, don't look so good right now. See, I don't know, any investment in a high-flying tech stock that is currently down 75% or more from its highs. But what if, what if you were a fund that could make what now looks like bad calls on private companies and public companies at the exact same time? Well, remember, A bunch of big VC firms recently became what is known as registered investment advisors, allowing them to hold crypto tokens, to hold shares of companies long after they go public, to even buy shares of publicly traded companies on the open markets alongside their traditional, you know, venture investments. Well, bad timing, right? Quoting the information. Like GGV, venture capital firms, including Sequoia Capital, have added to prior investments in companies after stocks have fallen steeply. Others, like Andreessen Horowitz and Thrive, are investing in companies for the first time. The investments indicate that venture investors, who are sitting on record levels of dry powder, are still on the hunt for deals, especially if they think they're a good opportunity. The extended stock sell-off means many of these investments are not paying off yet. However... The purchases come as many VC investors say they are holding off on private deals as they wait for private valuations to reflect the depressed valuations of comparable public stocks. In the second quarter, investors closed deals for U.S. startups worth $62 billion, the lowest since the fourth quarter of 2020, according to financial data firm PitchBook. Deal value had reached a record high of $111 billion in the fourth quarter. In the first quarter, Andreessen Horowitz bought over 1 million shares of Block at a price per share of about $135, according to a financial filing. That was down 53% from an all-time high of $289 per share, even as Block's Cash App, where users can transfer money, gained in popularity. While Block's revenue fell 22% to $3.96 billion in the first quarter, Block's expanding crypto focus could be driving Andreessen Horowitz's interest. More than 10 million Cash App accounts had purchased Bitcoin as of March. The investment hasn't paid off yet, however. Shares have fallen 49% to $68.63 from Andreessen Horowitz's purchase. purchase. A spokesperson for Andreessen Horowitz did not respond to a request for comment. New York-based Thrive Capital has taken a different approach by betting on less familiar companies. Earlier this year, the firm, started by Josh Kushner, purchased 813,000 shares of Carvana at a price per share of about $120. According to a financial filing, shares had already fallen 56% from their peak at the end of January, a hit to big investors such as Tiger Global Management. Carvana's valuation, based on its enterprise value to expected revenue, has fallen to less than one below other online retailers with slower revenue growth like Chewy. Since Thrive's stock purchase, shares of Carvana have sunk about 80%, representing a loss of about $77 million for Thrive, end quote. The only point I'm trying to make by bringing this up here is something something trying to catch a falling knife? Sure, there are smart people in this world, there are smart rich people in this world, the smart money, if you will, But if you think that anyone, even the biggest, smartest, richest people in the world paid to make big bets with big money can time the broader market, do you think anyone can time the broader market, can outsmart the global macro economy? I'm here to tell you they cannot. That's a fairy tale. Everyone, and I mean everyone, even the biggest, richest, and smartest, have been taken aback by the market pullback over the last six months. Even, oh, I don't know, the richest man in the world? customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee, so get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. The richest man in the world, of course, is Elon Musk. Finally today, look, You don't need me to tell you that according to an SEC filing, Elon Musk has officially notified Twitter that he wants to terminate their merger agreement, claiming that Twitter didn't provide the relevant business info he requested. That news broke days ago at this point, so you don't need me to tell you about it. And secondly, you come here for me not just to tell you about breaking news, but for analysis of breaking news, right? So what's going on here? Well, (laughs) listen, no one really knows, right? But let me share with you some observations that I've been collecting for you over the weekend. First, I'd point out this. Elon Musk called the top, the top of the market, the tech market, the sort of markets that we care about, right? He made this deal obviously at a point where Twitter was valued below its all-time highs but way above where it would be valued today. And lots of smart folks like Andreessen Horowitz and Larry Ellison joined him in that bet as I mentioned in the previous segment. This goes to show no one knows the market. No one. The broader market. The global market. The macro. Not even the smartest, richest, most plugged-in people on the planet know it. Clearly, this was a dumb bet by the richest guy on the planet, who some people also think is the smartest guy on the planet, because he does things like sends rockets to space and makes the first new successful car company in 100 years. Elon could probably pick up Twitter today for, I don't know, a $25 billion market cap or $15 a share. He could finance that all by himself and not endanger his Tesla holdings, which is, in the end, probably the reason why he wants to get out of this deal. There's no way Elon would make the deal that he made if he knew what he knows now. I would say, if you want the best breakdown of what has probably gone down here, how many times have I said it? Read Matt Levine in Bloomberg. Link in the show notes. Read the whole friggin' thing, because at this point, Matt has made his reputation as the analyst of all things Elon and meme stocks. Matt's contention, which I'm not sure that I agree with, but I don't know, he makes a compelling case, is that Elon and his offer to buy Twitter was likely just a joke, since Elon loves jokes, since he previously pretended he would like to take Tesla private, you know, but he may not be able to get out of this joke this time. I suppose we're going to find out. One of the things that Matt does is lay out why he thinks Elon is trapped. Quoting the first part of his three-part reasoning, debunking the claims made by Elon's lawyers to Twitter, or according to Matt, basically lack of claims therein, quote, Elon's first pretext is, Twitter has been lying about bots. For at least eight years, Twitter has said in its SEC filings that it estimates that fewer than 5% of its monetizable daily active users are false or spam accounts. And in the merger agreement, it represents that its SEC filings are accurate. Musk's lawyers say that quote it appears that Twitter is dramatically understating the proportion of spam and false accounts represented in its monthly daily active user count and quote there is not a whisper of evidence for this claim no hint that there might be evidence no acknowledgement that a reasonable reader of this letter might want to see evidence the only basis for the claim is that, quote, preliminary analysis by Mr. Musk's advisors of the information provided by Twitter to date causes Mr. Musk to strongly believe that the proportion of false and spam accounts included in the reported MDAO count is wildly higher than 5%, end quote. Notice that, Ringler does not say that the analysis shows that the bots are, quote, wildly higher than 5% of MDALs. That would be a factual claim that I suspect Musk's advisors know is false. They make only the subjective claim that Musk strongly believes it. I don't even believe that he believes it. But that's harder to disprove. The bots thing, man. I don't know. We've talked about this before. Back before the markets crashed, back when he was pretending to want to buy Twitter, Musk was pretending that he wanted to buy Twitter in order to clean up the bot problem. Now he's pretending to want to get out of the deal because of the bot problem. It is tiresome to pretend to take this seriously, so let's not. Also, though, the Covenant does not actually say... You have to give Musk any information he asks for. It says that Twitter has to give Musk information that he needs, quote, for any reasonable business purpose related to the consummation of the transactions contemplated by this agreement, end quote. Since he has made it clear for months that he wants all of this information to avoid... Consummating the merger? Twitter has a decent argument that they don't have to give it to him. Nothing that Musk is doing has any purpose related to the consummation of the merger. It has the opposite purpose, as he keeps saying. Similarly, Twitter doesn't have to give Musk any information that would, quote, cause significant competitive harm to the company or its subsidiaries if the transactions contemplated by this agreement are not consummated, end quote. And it seems pretty clear that Musk plans to use any information that he gets from Twitter to undermine its business by saying that it is running a massive fraud on its advertisers because that is what he is doing already. So Twitter has a pretty reasonable case not to give him any more information, end quote. Basically, what Matt is saying is this is all heading for one of the most amazing court cases in the annals of American business at this point. What will happen when that happens? Quoting Matt's conclusion... In theory, Twitter could ask a court to order Musk to specifically perform his covenant, not to blow up his financing. There is some history of Delaware courts doing that and of not being fooled by merger buyers who try to blow up their own financing. The bank's commitment letters do not give them an out for anything that Musk does or doesn't do. If Twitter cooperates with the financing banks and a court finds that there's no cause to terminate the merger agreement, then in theory the banks should have to fund, so specific performance should still be available but it's messy. And you can sort of see a path to Musk says the deal is off, so his banks walk away, so his financing isn't available, so he doesn't have to close the deal and can get away with just paying $1 billion. I like Twitter's odds. It's odds of getting specific performance and making Musk close the deal in court, but I don't think anything is a certainty at this point and obviously Musk will make this fight as unpleasant as possible. Already, the Attorney General of Texas has opened an investigation of Twitter's bot numbers in order to harass Twitter and capitalize on Musk's popularity with Republican voters. I have suggested in the past that Twitter's best weapon in this dispute would be banning Musk from Twitter because he's such an addict. But in fact, he recently stayed off Twitter voluntarily for nine days, which I assume he did just to prove to Twitter, the company, that he can survive without Twitter, the product. It's all going to be pretty awful and stupid, end quote. Now, you might have heard there's a bunch of stuff in there about something called specific performance and something I believe called a Court of Chancery in the state of Delaware. It's all legal stuff that I don't understand because I'm not a lawyer. But this did all lead me down a rabbit hole and I found some stuff from actual lawyers that might be useful. So let's end today with this. My assumption all along has been that Elon could just pay the $1 billion breakup fee and walk away, right? It would be an expensive mistake on his part. But all things being equal, for Elon, not the most expensive mistake he could make in the world. Again, for Elon, let me stress that. But what if that's wrong? This is a tweet thread from Rafi Melakonian, appellate lawyer at Wright Close and Barger in Houston, with a Fifth Circuit and Texas appellate practice, apparently, quoting him. There's a lot of confusion on my timeline about whether Elon has the right to walk away from the Twitter deal for $1 billion. No, he would write that check right this second if he could walk away. The agreement allows Twitter to try and make him buy the company at the price he agreed. Objection number one. Yeah, but no one really orders specific performance. It's a rare remedy in common law, yes, but Delaware Chancery not only does it, It has ordered specific performance very recently. Objection two. Yeah, okay, but it'll take years. No, the Delaware Chancery Court is extremely fast. Here's an example of a similar case that went from the complaint to judgment in a few months. Objection three Elon's right. They're breaching by not giving this info. Maybe that's what the trial will be for. But the provision is not favorable to Musk on its face. And I think any lawyer would say they'd rather be Twitter than Musk. End quote. Wait, what is specific performance? Well, here's Courtney Milan, who purports to be a former law school professor. Quote, I actually hadn't read the contract and now I'm like... WTF? This doofus agreed to specific performance to pay $44 billion? Hi, sorry, I forgot that specific performance is a law phrase. Most contracts, if you renege, you have to pay money damages. So if you agree to buy widgets for $3 and you refuse and the person can only sell the widgets for $2.50, they lost $0.50 a widget and that's what you pay. Specific performance means that they have a right to ask you to do the exact thing listed in the contract. So, for example, let's say you agreed to let someone buy back a beloved family heirloom. The market value of that heirloom isn't of much interest to the buyer. They want specific performance of the contract for you to give back that exact heirloom. That is, they want you to perform the specific thing listed in the contract. In this case, it means that Elon Musk signed a contract that said he could be personally forced to shell out $44 billion for Twitter.com, and that if he changed his mind, it wouldn't just be like, nah, termination fee of $1 billion. It would be like, Twitter can force him to pay $44 billion for a company with a market cap of $28 billion. Hopefully, this will mean after or slash if Elon gets ordered to specifically perform, I am dying here, WTF Elon, they negotiate a higher termination fee closer to the market damages, which right now is like $16 billion. By the way, if you're wondering, why would Twitter force Elon to buy Twitter? The answer is because they have a duty to shareholders to do the right thing, and under U.S. law, basically none to the stakeholders, which is us mere Twitter users. I am able to compel this effing idiot to give you $44 billion for shares worth $28 billion is a pretty financially good deal, and if Twitter did not sue Elon, someone would bring a shareholder suit against Twitter for failing to get that. Whether the deal closes will depend on how the lawsuit goes, I have no idea what facts will come out, and whether Elon wants to spend $16 billion for nothing or $44 billion for this bird app." End quote. So yeah, day six of my COVID recovery journey. Every single person in my house is now positive. I'm thankful for the Paxlovid because I'm basically about 90% feeling pretty good. They say once the Paxlovid runs out, you might have the symptoms come roaring back briefly. So I guess we're going to find out about that checking my watch tomorrow. But otherwise, the kids are fine. My wife has actually been the one that's gotten it the worst, but I think she's mostly gonna be okay. It was actually a restful few days for me since my son and I got it first. We basically have been living here in my office together for the past few days. He's been doing his own personal run-through of... Breath of the Wild, since when we originally beat that game, he was only three years old, so he's getting to do it for himself for the first time. Max and I played Zelda a lot. I'm proud of him. All of the towers are unlocked, and he beat one of the Divine Beasts. He's very good at it for a six-year-old. We also played a ton of Mario Kart, and when I could play by myself because he went to his iPad to watch The Simpsons, I've had my most successful run ever at Crusader Kings 3, took a small province on the coast of France, formed it into the Kingdom of Brittany, and then spread into southern England, then Ireland, then Spain. Basically, I'm reconstituting the ancient empire of the Celtic Fringe. My intention was to keep it as the Kingdom of Brittany, but I had to move my capital to England for political reasons, so currently it's the Kingdom of England. If you want to see my progress, check the most recent tweet on my Twitter timeline. The goal now is to crush West Francia and eventually double-cross my longtime ally Aquitaine and take over France. Anyway, assuming I avoid the dreaded Paxilvid rebound, talk to you tomorrow.